ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Why does God do what he does when he does it? And why does he not do what he doesn't do when he doesn't do it? Those are some of the questions right at the forefront of this gospel reading from John 11, a familiar passage about Jesus and Lazarus. Uh, From time to time, I'll actually draw from this passage if uh, there's a funeral we're doing, and I'm doing the sermon at that service. Um, It's honestly a sermon I don't mind preaching from and drawing from over and over again, because my hope would be that as we look at a story like the raising of Lazarus, Um, this would give us something to put in our spiritual back pocket because it's something we need uh, and we need to have before we even know that we need it when grief and death uh, come near. Um, And honestly, it's the kind of sermon, if you've heard it at a funeral, well, we don't listen well there. (laughs) It's what we need to hear when we're least able to hear it and to process it. And so repetition is actually a gift. Uh, Hearing this message over and over again Um, can help our faith be rooted in what 1 Peter calls our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In this passage, Jesus' friend Lazarus has fallen ill. His sisters send word asking Jesus to come and heal him. And this is one of those confusing moments. Jesus hears about the illness of his friend and seemingly does nothing. Lazarus dies waiting on Jesus. His sisters see him die waiting on Jesus. And now that it is seemingly too late, Jesus says, hey, let's go. Uh, Lazarus has fallen asleep. Let's go wake him up. And it seems too late, but the disciples go along. Um, I would say I love that this uh, gospel lesson comes here as we're kind of towards the end of the season of Lent. It's a little Easter appetizer, uh, letting us know uh, what Jesus is going to go through and the hope that we have in him. Uh, This morning, I want to consider these three friends of Jesus, waiting Martha, wailing Mary, and wrapped up Lazarus, as we consider this text this morning. So first, uh, the first one we meet is waiting Martha, John 11, uh, 17 through 27. Uh, John presents a pretty tragic scene when we're introduced to waiting Martha, um, we're already told that we, we know who these women are. Uh, in John 12, Mary is going to anoint Jesus, actually for his future burial. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, Mary and Martha are the two sisters uh, that are arguing about who is working and who is sitting at the feet of the Savior. Um, here, as we're introduced to Mary and Martha again, we hear that when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So we don't know how long it had been when they sent for Jesus. But here, we're at least four days after uh, their brother has died. So, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God... God will give you. Again, Martha has been waiting. She waited as her brother fell ill. She waited for 
uh, the messenger that was sent to Jesus. She, she waited for Jesus uh, to arrive and to come and to heal her brother. She waited for him to finally show up, but she doesn't wait anymore. So when she sees him, she runs. She rushes to have this conversation with Jesus. Her words are honest. They're raw. I think she's hurt, but she has hope. I think in many ways, Martha needs to vent. She needs to vocalize her frustration uh, to her friend, Jesus. Her sentiment is, if only, if only you had been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. If only. You can hear behind that, why not? Why didn't you? If only. When things go wrong, when we face things we don't understand, or maybe it's something we understand, but we're just struggling to process it, don't we often go into if only mode? If only this hadn't happened, if only that, if only this had occurred to change the present circumstances. And I would just say that that kind of if only uh, while natural, it's a, it's a sort of fantasy. It's a weird version of nostalgia, not for the past as it was, but for the present as it could have been if the past was just a little bit different. How does Jesus respond? Well, first, I think he's fine with her being honest. <laughs> he's fine with her vocalizing her frustration. Uh, but rather than revisit why Jesus didn't uh, come, you notice he never answers that for her. Instead, he takes her if only and points it in a different direction. Your brother will rise again. I've always imagined uh, if you look behind the Greek translation, it would say something terribly trite, like at least he's in a better place. You know how we try and do this. We try and comfort one another, and, and the meaning is good, uh, but it, it doesn't always work. It sounds like one of those you know, trite things. It's good and it's right theology, but I'm not sure that it's that helpful here. Here's what Jesus is appealing to, and we heard a little bit about it in Ezekiel, is that if you read through the Old Testament, the prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, uh, they tell of a day when God would act and bring forth what we would call the new heavens and the new earth. That at the end of time, God would renew the whole world, flood it with his glory and give his faithful people uh, new bodies to share and relish in his good, renewed, new creation. Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright describes this, this great hope we have, as a world like ours, only with its beauty and power enhanced, and its pain, ugliness, and grief abolished. That's what everyone in the first century was waiting on. That's what we're waiting on. We say it every week. We believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Your brother will rise again. What Jesus says is absolutely true, but is it helpful? My experience has been that when we're hurting or in pain, right answers are good, but they're not enough. See, Jesus goes a step further. He announces that this great thing they're waiting on, this future event, this great hope for them and for us has already started happening. New creation, resurrection, eternal life has come to us. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not just a doctrine, it's a person. 
Bishop Leslie Newbegin says, resurrection is no longer a mere doctrine. It has a living name and a face. Jesus is himself the presence of the life which is God's gift beyond death. And to be bound to Jesus by faith is to share already now that life which is beyond death. You see what Jesus is doing. He's challenging Martha to trade her, if only, sentiments for if Jesus. If Jesus is who we believe him to be. If Jesus is the Messiah. If Jesus is God's own son, if Jesus is resurrection and life in the flesh, then we can have a sure and future hope, both for our future and the resources for when death and suffering and illness come near in our families, our friends, our communities, and the world. Again, this is something you need in your spiritual back pocket to have straight before life hits you sideways, to understand what Jesus is teaching here. And look at Martha's response. It's fantastic. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. In other words, everything the Gospel of John has said about you, John 1 through 10, and will say all the way to the end of the book, everything Jesus has said about himself, every claim of divinity and title and power and ability, I believe. I have faith that you are exactly who you claim to be. And so we have waiting Martha, disappointed, honest, frustrated, but she doesn't lose her grip on Jesus and who he is. She doesn't get lost in her grief in that moment. Next, we're going to meet her sister, Wailing Mary, uh, verses 28 through 37. Uh, Martha goes off to fetch her sister Mary. There's a little lull in the action. I wonder what she was thinking as she went to get Mary. I wonder what the disciples were thinking as they had found out, oh, Lazarus is, is gone. And that temporary pause, I would say, we actually can fill in. Because the questions I imagine Martha is asking is, where were you? Why didn't you come when I asked? Why didn't you help? Why didn't you heal? Why did my brother die? That pause allows us to reflect on our lives, our questions, our if-onlys. And, and friends, most of us have some deep pain and grief like that that we need to take to the Lord as well, that we have to ask Jesus eventually. And so verse 32 says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, uh, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sound familiar? <laughs> Her and Martha have compared notes. They're on the same page. They're frustrated that Jesus has not come. When Jesus saw her weeping and those who had come with her also weeping, he is deeply moved in his spirit, greatly troubled, and says, where have you laid him? They say, come and see. And verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Wailing Mary is clearly upset. She's distraught. She's crying. Uh, those with her are crying, and it's fascinating that it moves Jesus. I mean, even knowing what he would do, what was about to happen for Lazarus, um, he is upset. He's troubled. He, he weeps. He, he weeps for the death of his friend. He weeps for the pain and grief he sees. 
It just reminds me that sometimes we need to shout, we need to vent to Jesus like Martha. Sometimes we need to cry and grieve well like Mary. And we need this assurance that when we come to him with our pain, our suffering, and grief, we know he cares. And that he grieves with us, even if he knows how he's going to work this out for good. Let me illustrate just a little bit. I've shared this maybe a few times before. Um, Some of you know that when I was a sophomore in high school, my grandfather passed away. Uh, We were very close. He lived about a mile down the street. Um, And so all the time, we would spend many evenings having dinner together. Uh, My mom was a teacher, so every teacher workday, I'd be hanging out with him. Uh, We were regularly in each other's lives. Um, And a lot of my, if I think about it, a lot of my if-onlys have to do with him. Like, man, if only he could have met Holly, my wife. If only he could have met Noah, my son, Zoe, my daughter. If only he could have come and worshiped with us, if only. And when he died, I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, At the time, I didn't know Jesus. Uh, We were going to church, but I didn't know Jesus. That can happen. You all probably know that. (laughs) You can be going along to church, and it, it hasn't yet sunk in. Um, And when he died, I still remember sitting uh, at his funeral, uh, gritting my teeth, making sure I didn't cry, making sure not to show emotion, not to acknowledge what's raging inside. And a few months later, I was at a camp, Windy Gap, it's a Young Life camp, and came to faith in the Lord Jesus, thanks be to God. And I remember one of the first things that happened was just a release of that grief. Uh, of weeping and crying in a good sense, uh, rightly beginning to mourn his death, uh, realizing, like, I'm going to see him again because he too knows the Lord Jesus. Um, And I wept over that pain, but I also wept with joy. And I finally had a resource to begin to deal with it, to make sense of what had happened, uh, what I was going through. Because only Christ, only Christ in us, the hope of glory, Uh, can equip us and help us to process the hardest things of life. Not by pretending that it isn't real or our pain isn't real, but by knowing that we can bring that pain to him, that he weeps with us, that he weeps for us as we experience those things. Um, Leslie Newbegin again, he's thinking about Jesus being at Lazarus' tomb and weeping. He says, perhaps one may say this, that in the immediate presence of death, the, the, the helplessness of his friends in the face of death, uh, Jesus is facing the power which he had come to destroy, a power which is met by the wrath of him who is the author of life, but which could only be cast out when the author of life took the whole power of death upon himself. He, he's going to raise Lazarus. But in the the run-up of the Gospel of John, we're being told, hey, just wait. (laughs) He's raising Lazarus, but he's going to be resurrected. Following his cross, he himself will finally defeat death. And there's our Easter appetizer right there. Wrapped up Lazarus, verses 38 through 44. I I love the detail of this passage. Um, I I love some of the little nuance. Uh, The first thing he does is he tells some people to roll away the stone. Isn't that interesting? I mean, Jesus is, is about to call forth a dead man with his voice. I'm pretty sure he could have handled the stone on his own. 
He handles it later, it seems like. <laughs> What's he doing? He's teaching. He's involving. He, he's including. He, he's letting these who are the onlookers say, I want you to come participate. I invite your labor into this process. A little bit later, says, I'm going to pray this, and I'm going to pray it out loud so y'all can hear. Because I want y'all to be able to glorify God by what you see. Uh, Martha objects. I, I love Martha is a straight shooter. Uh, Lord, he going to stink. <laughs> They're worried. I mean, they didn't have the, the kind of, you know, funeral and embalming services we have. That's why even after Jesus' death, what do the women do? They go to the tomb to finish the process with spices and ointments to anoint the body of our Lord. And then you've got stones gone. You've just got Lazarus laying on a slab wrapped up in these linens, stuck in a tomb. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Now, I know that, uh, I don't know who, who, a lot of folks don't bring our Bible. Sometimes we'll print it in the bulletin, that kind of thing. But um, we're in John 11. If you just turn back, um, John 10 is really important for this passage. Because here's what Jesus taught in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And here, Jesus, the good shepherd, says to one of his own, Lazarus, come out. Will this sheep hear his voice? Can he back up what he said? Can he truly give life even to the dead? And Lazarus comes staggering out, <laughs> wrapped in grave clothes, and they unbind him, and they let him go. Anne Lamott, who is a, a writer, says that grace means you're in a different universe from where you had been stuck, when you had absolutely no way to get there on your own. Martha needed to vent. Mary needed to cry. Lazarus was past the point of need. He was dead. And some of us, frankly, are like that too. Our reading in Romans 6 said because of our sin, at one time we were all dead. Until the good shepherd said, come out. Um, I even think, you know, a lot of us who know the Lord, um, we would consider ourselves his friend. There are ways in which we fall asleep. And we need Jesus to revive us, to wake us up, to say, come out. A new day is dawning. And so Lazarus comes out. They take off his grave clothes. And it's just this reminder for me. I don't know about you. I've got uh, friends, family members who don't know the Lord. Um, and there's times where, you know, my hope for them would be uh, that, that they would shape up. <laughs> Maybe that they would listen to some wisdom or some good advice. Um, I think we can cajole and nag sometimes in that, in that moment. It's just this reminder that our friends and family who aren't following the Lord, they don't need to just try a little harder or know a little tip or a little trick. They don't need the Lord just to kind of grade their life on a curve. They're dead. They need resurrection. They need to be revived. They need a supernatural work of God, of grace 
in their life to revive them and for Jesus to draw them to himself in a way that only he can. And so we pray for that. Um, I do love the detail of the clothes, by the way. I mentioned this is an Easter appetizer. You notice that Lazarus comes out, and he's got the linens, and they kind of unbind him, right? I mean, this is skipping ahead, but do you remember what? I mean, like, there are grave clothes on our Lord. After he dies on the cross for us, for our salvation, they, they wrap him in grave clothes, they put him in the tomb. <laughs> and later, when they shockingly find the tomb empty, <laughs> those clothes have been folded and neatly placed on the slab. Don't need those anymore. Thank you very much. I love those details that we have in here. And it just kind of underscores that in many ways this looks ahead to the resurrection of Jesus, but it's also different. I mean, it's not the same. I mean, Lazarus, um, I like to say he's revived more so than resurrected. He's brought back to life. Whereas our Lord is resurrected to a new and better life. Uh, Jesus is glorified. He, he's, even, he's even changed in a way. Uh, one of the most beautiful symbols that the church has for the resurrection of Jesus um, is a butterfly. Uh, you know the process of a, of a caterpillar. It gets in the chrysalis, right? It grows, it changes, it comes out more beautiful, more glorious. Still the same thing, but changed. Throughout church history, the church has viewed that grave as a chrysalis. And our Lord goes in and in the process comes out beautiful and glorious, still himself, but changed in a mighty and wonderful way, a way that we fail to even be able to describe using human words. He never goes back to the grave. I mean, Lazarus is one of those rare individuals who gets to die more than once. I mean, he dies, and Jesus revives him, and no sooner is he back on two feet than a little bit later, it's like, and they're plotting to kill that dude. <laughs> but Jesus, he dies, he goes into the grave, he comes out, he doesn't need it anymore. Romans says he, he, he dies never to die again. That's our hope. Ultimately, when we look at this story, we're not praying that Jesus would bring us back from the dead. Our great hope is that Jesus would bring us through death into the new and eternal life of the resurrection, the life of the world to come, what he gives to those uh, who know him, who are his friends. And so at the end of this, um, we're kind of left wondering what happens to Lazarus. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be him? Uh, there's a playwright named Eugene O'Neill who decided to fill in some of the gaps. Um, wrote a play called Lazarus Laughed. Um, and it's about Lazarus's life after Jesus brings him back from the dead. And, and there's some wonderful, it's a great play, but some wonderful images I just want to look at and, and ponder as we think about how we apply this today. Um, the first thing he has in the play, I love this. There's a, a banquet they're having in Bethany because everybody wants to hear from Lazarus. He, he's the local celebrity. I mean, and think about it. If we have someone who has like a, a death or a near-death experience, they're on talk shows, um, they're writing terrible books for the bookstores. I mean, there is an insane interest because we have real and honest questions about death. And that's one of the ways that we scratch that itch is we, 
we fixate and we'll, we'll grab onto anything that gives us a glimpse, a shadow, a hope. And so they have a banquet in Lazarus' honor because they want to hear his story. I mean, he's there four days. That's a while. What'd you see? As they take their seats, uh, one guest says this, Eugene writes, uh, the whole look of his face has changed. He's like a stranger from a far land. There's no longer any sorrow in his eyes. They must have forgotten sorrow in the grave. Goes a little bit further, and there's one of the guests who had uh, helped roll the stone away. And he actually shares with the group, hey, here's what happened right when Lazarus came out and we took the, the grave clothes away. It says that Lazarus uh, knelt and kissed Jesus' feet. Both of them smiled. I heard this week that if you smile, you can have a smile go up to your eyes. I imagine that's the kind of smile that they're envisioning. Lazarus and Jesus seeing each other. It says here that Jesus uh, blessed him called him my brother, and went away. And the playwright says, Lazarus, looking after him, began to laugh softly, like a man in love with God. Such a laugh I never heard. It made my ears drunk. It was like wine. And though I was half dead with fright, I found myself laughing too. I love that image. Gently laughing Lazarus, laughing softly like a man in love with God. And that's my prayer for us. Whether you're a waiting Martha, frustrated with God, needing to get that out, wailing Mary, wrecked by something that has sideswiped your life, or wrapped up Lazarus, dead in your sins, or just maybe you've fallen asleep and need to be woken up. My prayer is for a laughing faith. That you be able to take all of the if-onlys in your life and take them to Jesus. I don't know exactly what will happen. I don't know what those are for you. I don't know what response you'll receive, but I know that Jesus can and will meet your problems, meet your if-onlys with uh, some new part of God's future that can and will burst into the present into your mess, into your grief, with good news, with hope, with new possibilities, and just might leave you laughing softly like a man or woman or child in love with God. May you know the laughter of our Lord. May you know the one who is resurrection and life, uh, walking around on two legs. May you follow him. Trust him, worship him, even, or maybe especially in the midst of pain, suffering, grief, even death. Jesus promises uh, not that we'll be free from pain and suffering and death. No, but that he'll be with us. I mean, that's the other thing you see here, right? If we ever thought following Jesus would mean we get a pass on the things that are hardest in life. This is one of Jesus' best friends. And he doesn't get a pass. <laughs> he goes through death. It's exhibit A. Lazarus died waiting on a miracle, not knowing what the Lord would do. See, Jesus doesn't keep us from pain and suffering, grief and death. He carries us through them. He strengthens us to endure them. 
He gives us a place to vent and cry and grieve, but ultimately he gives us the gift of himself to bring healing and ultimately to come to a place of resurrection, life with him. We believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.